Hello and welcome to New Active's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Natasha Foote. And I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from New Active's Agri-Food News Team. This episode is powered by EIT Food. Following the publication of the EU's Farm to Fork strategy and with the food system facing mounting pressures, find out how a positive future of food may now be more dependent on collaboration than ever before at eitfood.eu slash blog. So recently, the debate over the live export of animals in the EU um, and also externally outside uh, to third countries has really been heating up. And this has come on the back of a move by the UK to actually ban the export of live animals completely. So these plans, basically, they involve the export of live animals for slaughter and fattening from England and Wales. And they were unveiled by the UK's Environment Secretary, George Eustace, last week. So the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, uh, otherwise known as DEFRA, said the plans were part of a renewed push to strengthen Britain's position as a world leader on animal welfare. It was estimated that around six and a half thousand animals were sent to the EU for slaughter in 2018, according to DEFRA. And they released a statement where they said that live animals commonly have to endure what they called excessively long journeys during exports. And this is something they said uh, causes distress and injury. So what's quite interesting about this ban is that it's being really hailed as uh, as a Brexit success. Um, <laughs> one, of, one of the few, arguably, Brexit successes. But yeah, the DEFRA was saying that EU rules previously presented any changes to these journeys, but leaving the EU has enabled the UK government to pursue these plans. So that's it's pretty interesting that that was kind of one of the first moves that we've seen out of the UK in terms of agriculture after Brexit. And, you know, also on the other side of the channel over in the EU, the conversation is heating up, although it's not really at the same scale. So we're not talking about, um, well, some people are talking about it, but I don't think we're really considering a full ban on live exports. But definitely the discussion is around um, reducing kind of the distances traveled by animals um, and how we can reduce these kind of transportation needs. So, um, Back in November, actually, uh, quite interestingly, the Minister for Agriculture in the Netherlands um, said that she wants to see a ban on the import of Irish calves into the country and also a ban on calves from um, Denmark, the Czech Republic and the Baltic states. Um, So this is something she said would make farming more sustainable. um, And she was arguing that from these specific areas that she finds the transport times um, unacceptably long and that the distances affect the welfare of calves and should cease. And this is something that, of course, can affect the free movement of goods and services in the internal market, which is widely seen as our as the EU's strongest asset. And I, we spoke to an EU source about this who was saying that, you know, member states should really refrain from introducing these kind of restricted measures um, that undermine the functioning of the single market, particularly in the retail and the agri-food sector. This is quite an interesting development. And we've also had several ANIT committee meetings recently. So ANIT is the fairly recently formed Committee on Protection of Animals During Transport. And during a one committee meeting recently, there was the EU Agriculture Commissioner, Janusz Wojciechowski, who was really very clear about his feelings on this. I mean, he, he wasn't calling for a, an outright ban of the practice, but he definitely was a strong proponent of kind of drastically reducing uh, the amount of animals that are moving around the EU and elsewhere outside the EU. And he was saying that after a few years of the reform um, on animal welfare, he really wants to, he hopes to see the transportation needs of animals go down overall. And this is something he called um, a viable solution. 
something he found definitely a viable viable concept he, did, he didn't see any reason why this wouldn't be possible um whereas there were certain people that did not agree with this position so we had there was one MEP Daniel Buda who's very clear that he felt that we cannot do without the this kind of transport in the EU for the time being because certain member states depend on this completely and he kind of said kind of a very strong statement some want to see an end to the life at transport of animals outside the EU yes only if we want to bankrupt farmers is what he said so pretty interesting kind of divergence of, of viewpoints going on in the EU um but regardless of that as I said also actually yesterday so this week uh, there were 40 elected uh, representatives that signed an opinion piece which was published in Le Monde this week about animal transport um, and the moral and legal issues arising from the export of live animals and one of the signatories was MEP Tilly Metz who is also the chair of the ANIT committee meeting and we spoke to her she spoke to you active and um she told us that she really welcomed the UK's move because this was a, a which was positively surprised by this unveiled plan. But she said the discussion around bans on the export of live animals to third countries can be pretty heated. Um, she said she's really interested to see the effects of what this will have on the UK farming sector uh, and the UK's food system. Although, in her opinion, for the EU, a similar ban seems to be quite far off in the future. And this is especially as the decision to limit the export of live animals lies in member states or in some cases even regions. But she did say that she found it really encouraging that more and more bans were popping up across Europe. But she was fairly careful to say that any kind of scope of a ban at the EU level would, of course, have to be based on scientifically and legally established facts. But yeah, something to watch and interesting. Our guest this week comes from the Euractiv Network, uh, precisely from our office in Prague, Aneta Zachova. She's going to talk a bit more about the recent developments on the Commission's audit on uh, Czech Prime Minister Babish and his alleged conflict of interest when it comes to the use of the Common Agricultural Policy funds. We read in the headlines of Czech media that something is brewing. Uh, is there anything news? Uh, yeah, like there is uh, something new almost every month in the Czech Republic when it comes to the possible conflict of interest of our prime minister. Uh, because uh, currently there are two audits commissioned by the European Commission. And these two audits... Uh, are ongoing and they are trying to investigate how does it work in the Czech Republic when it comes to the subsidies to uh, agrofert holding is the so-called former holding of uh, our prime minister, Andrei Babish, that was uh, put into trust funds. And now the question is, if Babish, as the prime minister now, is still controlling his agrofair holding that is receiving millions, millions of euros uh, on subsidies, uh, both from structural funds and from agricultural funds. So what's new now is that uh, we know that the European Commission is convinced that Babish is still controlling uh, this holding agrofair, which means uh, that we are facing quite a big problem because Meanwhile, Babish is owner of Agrofair. He is also negotiating about the European funds at the European level. 
and he's also like a decision making he is also involved in the decision making process in the Czech Republic when it comes to EU money distribution but like this case it's like ongoing for almost two years and hopefully next year there will be finally a breakthrough there are any rumors uh, about the outcome of this audit or is still uh, you know kept secret yeah like uh, last uh, last two weeks uh, we saw uh, like the leaked version of the commission's report when it comes to uh, subsidies from the uh, structural funds and they say that mr babish controls the companies in the agrofert group Almost the same uh, we learned from the previous leaks that were concerning uh, the agricultural subsidies. So it means that, yeah, the, the commission is like ready to really encounter rubbish because of uh, this problem. But meanwhile, the Czech ministries, uh, like the, both ministries, like the Ministry for Regional Development and the Ministry for Agriculture, They are uh, arguing that uh, it is not true, that uh, Babish is not controlling Agrofert. So maybe uh, we will see that the case will go in front of the European Court of Justice, maybe next year. And so, and, and Agrofert, I mean, this is a, it's a huge agricultural company, so there were millions of subsidies involved. What, what kind of level are we talking about here? How much money would we be talking about that he would have potentially received? And is the European Commission looking for, for him to like pay that back? Would that be uh, the next kind of step in this if, if he was found to still be involved in the company? The problem is that we don't really know like how many millions of euros it is uh, per year because like Agrofair holding is really huge and inside Agrofair uh, there are smaller and like smaller companies that are also uh, currently receiving uh, grants. So like the, the problem is, is really huge and also like meanwhile uh, Agrofair is receiving uh, money from the from the direct payments like the, from the first pillar of, of cap but also like from the second pillar from the rural development program the structure of the company is so complicated that uh, even during these audits like new and new information are revealed even smaller companies that are not named Agrofert are actually the part of this group and they will also probably have to like pay the money back so yeah we, we have to wait for the for the next year and we will be like aware of the of the total sum of the money that we at the Czech Republic could maybe have to pay pay back in coming uh, years. And we're also uh, a bit curious about the reaction uh, of the public opinion uh, in the Czech Republic, uh, because, I mean, uh, we're discussing this in Brussels. It's a matter of uh, public debate in the bubble, but we're not uh, sure about how this has been received uh, in Czech Republic. Uh, what about the public debate uh, in your country? Public debate is, is ongoing like since uh, Babish became the finance minister uh, before he became the, the prime minister. And like I think that the mo- like the biggest 
problem here in the Czech Republic is that people think that uh, like the agriculture subsidies are, are working only like to improve the, the businesses of uh, like rich people. They uh, they don't know or they like in, in media every day almost every day you can see reports about agrofer about Babish and about European funds. So people here in the Czech Republic thinks that European Union is just like giving money to to Babish and his business. So it's quite problematic. And the second thing is that of course such topic is uh, very let's say interesting the topic uh, for opposition parties so like babish is often criticized by the opposition like every month and every week uh, they are criticizing babish that he, he should step down as a prime minister next year uh, in october we have uh, general elections and uh, definitely these uh, audits of the European Commission uh, will be uh, the, among the top topics uh, during the campaign of the, of the opposition parties. So we'll see what comes in, in the next year. And this week as well, um, make sure that you don't miss our special edition of our agri-food podcast. So just to give you a little sneak peek of what we've been up to, uh, we've done a special, the special edition that's dedicated to agri-trade. And in the past few weeks, we've spoken to a number of experts, policymakers, different stakeholders, lawmakers, um, MEPs, all kinds of people, NGOs, um, uh, basically to bring you the nitty gritty of what trading agricultural commodities and foodstuffs why it's so important in the EU, what makes EU foodstuff and the European single market so particular for trade partners, as well as the social political consequences that come from these kind of trade uh, relations and free trade agreements. So um, definitely not one to be missed. And just in case you need any more convincing, let me give you a little sneak peek of one of our guests that we've had on the podcast. So this is John Clark, who's the director for international affairs in the European Commission's DG Agri on why agri-trade is so important in the framework of EU trade policy and here's what you have to say. The Covid pandemic has shown the importance for food security of keeping borders open, of keeping the single market uh, running uh, and uh, of open markets in general and the sector was very resilient during the crisis and I think you know our conclusion is that um, we need to uh, maintain open agri-food trade we need to diversify uh, both our markets and our sources of supply. And uh, even though in the new agricultural policy we'll be giving more focus on um, short supply chains and buying local, um, that, that is complementary to um, our broader uh, international and, and global uh, reach in agriculture. The two things are not at all mutually exclusive. So if you want to hear more um, from uh, all the other stakeholders we had involved in the podcast and hear more about uh, agri-trade in the EU, be sure to tune in to our special edition of the Agri-Food Podcast. And on Friday, the plenary of the Committee of Regions, uh, the Committee of the Regions is, um, is an advisory uh, um, institution of the European Union. And of course, it gives uh, advices to the co-legislators of the European Parliament and the Council on the Commission's proposals. 
and the Committee of Regions again adopted an opinion on the farm to fork strategy, the EU's uh, flagship food policy. Uh, the rapporteur of this opinion was uh, Guido Milana, who's a municipal councillor uh, from uh, Olevano Romano, which is a small town near Rome in Italy. But we spoke with Johan Calabuc who's the regional secretary for the European Union of the government of Valencia. He's also the uh, socialist group coordinator in the Committee of Region Commission for Natural Resources. And he now explains us uh, the main content of the opinion and the Committee of Region position on the farm-to-fork strategy. Some of uh, your listeners could wonder why regions and cities We'll deal with the farm-to-fork strategy. Well, first, the farm-to-fork strategy is an investment in the future of Europe. As regional and local leaders, what we want for our citizens is better food in our schools, less obesity in our hospitals, or clearer information for our citizens when they go to supermarket. Of course, We want also successful farmers delivering high-quality products and protecting the beautiful European landscapes. Second, when we talk about agriculture, we should not forget that regions are implementing the common agricultural policy. Well, on this one, I regret that we are not also elaborating his principles, because Like Franz Timmermans, we really think that Europe is not going far enough with the CAP to green our agriculture. Maybe our union should put its words into action. So yes, as regions and cities, we support an ambitious farm-to-fork strategy. And we move to the livestock sector. Uh, there was a new report by the European Network of Wildlife Professionals Project, and it was released this week, and it basically show uh, models uh, for wild boar distribution, including control of spatial autocorrelation. And the report, which was funded by the uh, European Food Safety Agency, EFSA, aims to ensure more precise estimates on wild boar for better risk assessment on African swine fever. And um, there's another, another news uh, in the, that actually involved the livestock sector. 34 MEPs wrote a letter uh, this week criticizing a new commission-funded project. It's, it's a communication campaign which aims to promote the consumption of beef products you probably heard in the, in the past weeks. So it is, it is a campaign approved by um, the Commission in uh, 2019 that will last for three years. And according to the MEPs, this campaign aims to incite the consumers not to have a stereotyped idea about red meat. But in the end, it goes in contrast with the farm-to-fork strategy and particularly the aim of reducing, of moving to a more plant-based diet with less red and processed meat. And lastly, the Farmers' Trade Union, the European Federation of Food, Agriculture and Tourism Trade Unions, EFAT, has released a new interesting report exploring the reasons why 
COVID-19 spreads easily in meat plants and what to do to mitigate the risk. So they found that the temperature and humidity can affect COVID transmission risk, and, and particularly in dry and cold environments where there's a great greater transmission. And, and also COVID is more likely to be transmitted indoors where air circulation may be less robust. And so um, this is common in food processing facilities where physical distancing has not traditionally been a feature, either on the production lines or in staff break, you know, the relaxation areas. That's why um, COVID actually spread so easily in, in uh, the food processing industry. This week, the AgriFood podcast is produced by Euractiv's AgriFood team, Gerardo Fortuna and Natasha Food with the technical support of Evi Chiori. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. And this podcast is also available on all major streaming platforms. That includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify and Stitcher. So that's all from us. I'm Natasha Foote. Thanks for listening and see you next week. <laughs>